This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Defined by grace, 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 community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. How could you not miss this? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Mm. It just feels like it's, there's a reason why we have longed to be around each other, not just to be around each other, but to be reminded of who God is, to be reminded of who God has been for us, to acknowledge so much of what we've dealt with over the last two years. But to hold to the hope, this hope that God truly is with us, that he has not left us, that he has not forsaken us. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but I am trying to muster up just enough composure because it's been just too long. So I'm so thankful that we have had uh, folks who have just been faithful during this time. Y'all just want one more hand for just the, the praise team, the band. It's truly a reminder that none of this is about us and it's truly about him. Let me just pray for us before we go, before I lose myself. <laughs> Heavenly Father, you are truly good and you're not good only subjectively. You're not good only because we can identify ways in our individual lives that you have blessed us, that you have kept us. But Lord, this very day, the day that we uh, choose out of the year to remember, to spend all of our time focused on the fact that you are not dead, that you are alive, that you have resurrected for us, you have lived for us, you have died for us. And if that was the end of the story, then we would have no hope today. But because you have resurrected, God, we have a reason to look forward. We have a reason to have hope. Despite all that we have seen over the past two years, we have a reason to have hope because your tomb is empty. Father, we are thankful that your tomb is empty. God, I pray that you would be with us today as we remember and reflect. But God, as has already been prayed, I pray that this will be a time that we examine ourselves even as we are examined, as we are loved, and as we are comforted, I pray that we would be examined, that we would be reminded that as we dig into your word, we don't just read your word. Father, your words, your word reads us. The scriptures read us. So Lord, let us be read and let us be fed to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. These last two years, as we all know, have been incredibly challenging to say the least. For many of us, they have been incredibly heavy. They have been at times heartbreaking. And as a church, we have endeavored earnestly to act with wisdom, to act with care and love and concern. Um, we've, we've wanted to be present for each other. We've wanted to love each other well, 
hoping at some point to meet safely. And those of you who have known, we've had different times where we're thinking, great, this will be the time and time to do things safely, caring for the people in our community who have dealt with a number of issues facing uh, this pandemic. And honestly, I think everybody here would agree sometimes hoping can be a struggle. Sometimes just holding on to hope can be a struggle. It's not that our heads don't say there's a reason to hope. It's not that we don't, we can't point to things and point to reasons why we ought to hope. But on a deep emotional level, hoping can be a struggle. Hoping can feel uh, elusive. If there's one thing that I think we've been forced to learn over the last two years, is the answer to this question, what do we do when we struggle to hope? Like, where do you go? Where, where does our heart go? Where does our mind go when it's just a struggle to hope? Let me take it a step further. For, for some of us, that question is too light. For some of us, the question is, what do we do when we feel like our hope may be dying? Those that I've talked to in our church Lots of issues that people are carrying and just being perfectly honest and candid. There are folks who are, who are saying, I'm, I want to be honest and I want to just be truthful about where my heart is. There are times where I'm just, I feel like my hope is just dying. I feel like that the reasons that kept me going, they're just, they feel fleeting. They feel like they're not there in the same way. What do I do when I feel like my hope it's, it's going away. It feels like it's being eradicated. I've had thing after thing after thing hit me, and I know my head tells me to hope, but my experience and what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is eroding my hope away. What do we do when we find ourselves there? The passage that we're going to read today, this gospel that we're going to read today, I believe gives us an invitation to reflect on that question, and I believe gives us the only answer to that, to that question. This invitation to reflect. You notice when we get into this text, this is a roadmap by which we should orient ourselves. This is the place where we should find ourselves. It's going to reveal intersections of, of Jesus's life and your life. It's going to reveal intersections about where Jesus is and sometimes where our hope isn't. As we read this, please hear this as something that begs to be recognized, not just as a story about the characters that are in the text, but this truly is indicative about, of, of where our hearts truly is. This is a story that when we dig into it, it should feel very familiar because it's a story of both shattering and restoration. It's a story of hope dying and hope being resurrected. If you have ever in your life been in a place where you felt shattered, where you felt hopeless, then this is your story. If you have ever been at a place in your life where you have felt incredible joy and restoration and this, uh, this newly acquired hope yet again, then this also is your story. But if you are in that in-between place where every one of us find ourselves at some point in time, then this even more so 
is your story. We're going to look at this pattern, this pattern that describes this journey from a place of hopelessness to a place, a pl a place of true hope, something that we can cling to. This, this combination or this contrast between what we're going to see as Jerusalem and what we'll see as Emmaus. So we're going to read through. This is a large narrative, a chunk of text, but we're going to spend our time in a few specific places. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him. He said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happen here in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and even crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, over some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we think about this story, don't just think about uh, this, this, this contrast between where these two disciples are coming from versus where they're going. Yes, they're trying to go from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and it's, they are geographical places, but I also want to think about them as archetypal realities. These are, these are not just the geographic places. These are places that figuratively and emotionally and very literally in our hearts, we go. There's a Jerusalem for us, and there's an Emmaus for us. For every one of you, there is a Jerusalem for you, and there's an Emmaus for you. 
This was the journey Cleopas and his companion took, and it's a journey that each of us has taken, is taking, or we will take at some point. If you've never found yourself in between these two places, just live a little longer. You will find yourself in a place where there's hope over here, there's hopelessness over here, and you're just struggling in the middle. This is our journey. These are the, this passage becomes this portal into this deep self-awareness uh, for us and hopefully a place of both conviction and comfort. So let me start with Jerusalem. You know those commercials, people find themselves in a really uncomfortable situation and they go, want to get away? You ever been in that place where beyond just being embarrassed, you're in a place where it is a place of brokenness. You expected something to happen here. It didn't happen. And all of your hope was, upon, was based on this. It doesn't occur, and you're just stuck there. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you hoped and truly believed for a thing, and it just didn't happen? You prayed for a thing, and it didn't happen. And the thing for which you prayed is objectively a good thing. It's not like there was something you prayed for that was just bad or subjectively good for you, but bad for someone else. This is something everyone would agree is something good. Everyone would agree is something that's advantageous. Have you ever felt like that things in your life are beyond your capacity to handle? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you're in a place where this, these challenges, these difficulties, this heartbreak, this is just beyond naturally what I feel like I'm built to handle? Maybe it's gotten worse. Have you ever felt like I just want to run away from my life? Have you ever felt like maybe you, you couldn't, but everything in you felt like if I could, if I could just take a break from my life just today, I would do it in a heartbreak, in a heartbeat. Have you ever had to live with unmet expectations? I think we all know whenever expectations go unmet, disappointment ensues, right? Think about every single time you've been hurt, frustrated, upset, angry, what have you. That is always the fruit of an unmet expectation. No one has an expectation that gets met and they're frustrated and angry. When your expectations go unmet, we're not talking about whether or not they're realistic or not. That's, that's a different topic. But <clears throat> whatever your expectations are, when they go unmet, you find yourself in this place, this, fr this place of frustration. And when they are heavy, expectations that carry heavy consequences, you can easily begin to feel lost as if your world was turned upside down. Have you ever had to wrestle with those questions? Once you meet that place, that unmet expectation, you're asking yourself, who am I now? What do I do now? Where do I go? What's next? Maybe you can remember a time where you did everything right and life still didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. Maybe you've had to grieve the death of a loved one. Maybe you've had to grieve the death of a, a dream, a future. In some form or fashion, you have found a place where your life feels 
shattered. If you felt any of those things, now you have an idea of what these two companions were feeling at this point in time. You have something in common with Cleopas and his companion. Here you have these first 11 or so verses, what I would call the downcast duo. You've got these two disciples, and to some degree, they've been following Jesus. And they've been following what's been happening and following the other 11 disciples. And they've been listening and they've seen things that Jesus has done. They've heard the things that he's prophesied. They've heard the things that he promised would happen. And here we come to Easter morning. And you've got these two disciples, heartbroken, all their expectations shattered. And they're just ready to leave. They're leaving Jerusalem. Now, it's easy to stop, look at them, judge them, and go, how dare they? I can't believe that they would ever leave. Don't they know who Jesus is? He's been too good to them for them to ever walk away. It's easy to feel like that when you're in a good place. But when you have found yourself in places that are difficult and hard, that's where you should really see yourself in the story. It's easy for us to always go... How, how, how dumb these folks are, how ignorant they were, how faithless they were. I can't believe they would do that. No, this is us. We're not the hero here. This is us. This is where so often we can go. So let, when you read this, don't just look at them and begin judging. I say, who can blame them at this point? Humanly. Who could blame them? You've been walking with Jesus for any, whatever period of time these two particular disciples have been walking. And you've heard all of these promises made. You have seen incredible miracles occur. You've got all these, whatever their expectations were, we don't know all of them. We don't know everything that they were hoping. We know some of the things. And so now Jerusalem doesn't represent a place of hope. Jerusalem for them represents a place of shattered expectations. Jerusalem represents a place where their hearts have been broken. How many of you get excited to go back to a place where your hearts have been broken? Most of us do everything in our power to extricate ourselves from places where heartbreak is. We move in whatever direction that's opposite of where the pain is. No one wants to stay in that place. So we should first sympathize with these folks before we ever judge, judge them. Because I think most of us, if I know pain is here, I don't want to be there. So as they walk, they're leaving and they're talking about all the things that happened. And I suspect they're not just talking about the things that happened. They're talking, they're talking about all the things that didn't happen. Isn't that what we do? When I'm heartbroken and I had these expectations and I thought, keep in mind, they had their idea of what a Messiah should be. And what just happened is not what a Messiah in their mind should have done. So they're shattered. They're talking about not just what happened, but what ought to have happened, what should have happened. If you've ever been in that place, it's easy to go, you know, I just don't understand why God would do it this way. Because if it were me, I would do it this way. Don't tell me I'm the only one that's thought like that. We all have at times in our painful places, I just don't understand why God does this. And yet, this is what we see. Now, what are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus' life. They're talking about the torture. They're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about the death of Jesus. They're talking about a hope that in their mind never materialized. Expectations that, never be, uh, that were never met. Investments that they paid without any real return. They're disappointed. They're sad. 
they had hoped that Jesus was the one. They and their parents and their grandparents and great-grandparents, they had learned all about through studying the Jewish scriptures and the prophecies. They had been waiting for a Messiah. They had, they had been waiting for that one that would come and restore them to their political glory, their military glory. Spiritually, uh, there, there would be in a place where there would be a sense of real spiritual authority. They were hoping for all of their previous glory to be restored. And so they had an idea of what that kind of Messiah should look like. They had hoped that he was the one. And at this point, all of their hopes were dead. To them, everything they hoped for was just dead, was just gone. No negotiating, no resuscitating, just gone. And there's part of them that's, that's been lost, a part of them that died with Jesus, but they heard these rumors that he was alive. And they referred to them earlier in the text as idle tales. Why? Because they heard the first news about Jesus from the mouths of a woman. Think about that. The first sermon ever preached on Easter Sunday was, was from a woman. In that context, that was still difficult for them because you have to remember, by the way, as an aside, anytime people are wondering, well, what if somebody made this story up? How do you know you can believe this? How do we know that these things weren't just made up because people wanted to create competing myths with the other myths that were there during the Roman occupied world during that time? If you were going to make up a myth, this is a dumb way to do it. Because in that time, women were not even allowed to testify in court. So the testimony of women would never have counted for anything. So if you were going to make this story up, you, you for sure wouldn't say, and the way we know it, it's because women said it. It's in many ways, this is God turning even these cultural issues on its head, giving dignity back to the voice of women. So now you've got these, they hear this, the disciples had heard this, and they're like, I don't, I don't know if I can believe that. I know what Jesus said, but I haven't seen it. And all I know is what these women have said. That's just an idle tale. Nothing is going to keep them in Jerusalem. They're convinced. Their hopes have been shattered. Their lives have been shattered. So they make the move. They make their move to Emmaus. Now, people have asked, why would they go to Emmaus? And we're not sure. We don't know exactly why they chose to go to Emmaus, but <clears throat> regardless of where they went, I would imagine that any place to them was going to be better than the place they just came from. There could be any number of concerns they have. What if people know that we were following him? <clears throat> what if they know that we have been uh, upholding this same message? If they did that to him, what might they do to us? So they're getting out. Any place was better than this place. Any place will be better than Jerusalem. In many ways, they, they were afraid of dealing with another type of Egypt experience. And as good Jewish uh, uh, folks who understood the scriptures, that was always the place. That was always this symbolic place that nobody wanted to be uh, ever uh, again. The place where Israel was in bondage was Egypt, waiting for a Messiah to come and deliver them for their captivity, waiting so long that the promise of something better starts to sound like an empty cliche. Have you ever waited for something? Okay, God's going to do this. God's going to do this. He promised to do this. And it, you wait for so long that it just starts feeling like an empty promise. 
And maybe you're afraid to admit it because it doesn't sound holy and faithful. So you say with your mouth, oh, I still believe that. But everything in the way that you comport yourself kind of says you don't really believe that. They want to get away because this idea of waiting for a Messiah yet even longer, if Jesus wasn't it, just feels like an empty endeavor. Like I said, every one of us has been in some type of Egypt experience. The point of life when we experience almost that death of hope. The place where we've lost that map that can point us to tomorrow. Psychologists often say that, de- that some forms of depression can be boiled down in some cases, specifically emotionally, can be boiled down to uh, the inability to construct a future. You get to a place where all the things you hoped for and all the things you believed in, you just can't believe any longer. you, You can't see what tomorrow could even look like. You can't construct something better. This is the place, that that map that's no longer present that could lead us to tomorrow, the place where all of our days become nothing but yesterdays. That's where these disciples found themselves. And it's where many of us find ourselves, especially but not limited to the last couple of years. Some of you know many in our church have experienced some heavy and some tragic loved ones. There are folks who have lost Family members, there are folks who have lost parents, folks who have lost siblings, folks who have lost children, folks who have lost friends, people who have lost careers, people who have lost homes, opportunities, people who have experienced the death of hope. And some of us have even experienced things that we may have even contributed to which creates even more frustration and sadness in us. When I can look at things that have created real heartache and I know that maybe I had something to do with it as well, that can also put you in a place where you, I, you don't even feel like you have the right to hope because you feel like you had a hand in your hopelessness. This is one of those, so, so many of these places are places we find ourselves more often and we don't acknowledge and we don't see. And so we need to look at examples in this text where people have indeed experienced a real death of hope. Because however you got to where you got, you're not the only one. And however you got to where you got, Jesus wants to meet you there. So you see this, think about the three different types of people that you know were, were, were in this kind of a place during this time. Three types of people who walked with Jesus. Look at how they experienced the death of hope during Christ's resurrection, during Christ's crucifixion and his death. Look at the women at the tomb. Look at the two two disciples we see here. And look at the larger group of Jesus' disciples. You look at the women, they came to care for Jesus' body in the tomb. But they didn't come to the tomb to get their dreams fulfilled. They came to embalm a dead hero not a resurrected savior. And when he showed up, they didn't recognize him. Please hear this. This is easy to overlook really quickly. When you construct for yourself what you think your savior should look like, you will miss the real savior. Anytime you, and and listen, we all do it. Think about, we talked about this last week, or I talked about it when we put it up online. Think about this. Whatever it is that you believe to be your greatest need, whatever you think your greatest needs are, that will color who the Savior is for you. 
Whatever it is that is your, if, if your, heart, your heart's deepest desire is for one thing, I can promise you somehow, some way, you are formulating or reformulating Jesus to look like that. And then when the real Jesus comes in, you will miss him. You will miss him. He will walk right by, but he didn't look like that formulated savior that you had already constructed, so you completely miss him. These women, they show up and they are there to, 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 to embalm their savior, the, the one who walked with them, but he is, he is dead. And when he comes, they don't recognize. When you've already defined for yourself the savior you think you need, you won't believe what you'll see. You'll only see what you already believe. We love to say seeing is believing, but more often than not, if you already believe the wrong thing, then you will just see what you already believe. Then you've got the two disciples. These two disciples, here they are heading to Emmaus for any number of reasons, and they're walking away from where all the action is. Now, this is sometimes, and I think all different times, maybe you felt this way, maybe you've been here. This is sometimes people who may just choose to walk away from church altogether. And it's understandable at times when people are in a place of deep hurt and deep heartache. And we're not talking about people who are leaving abuse and people who are leaving manipulation. That's not what we're talking about. That is a, a whole other separate thing. But many times just walking away, and this is a, it can be very tempting when you go through really hard times. It can be tempting to just go, I just, I have felt this. I don't know how easy it will be to trust God here because of this incredible loss. And I don't feel like there's anything that's comforting me right now. I don't know that there's any hope that this is going to change for me. I don't know that there's any hope that, that the way that my heart is wounded, I don't know that there's going to be a place where real healing is going to come. And so I can't stay in Jerusalem any longer. I've got to go to my Emmaus. Maybe Emmaus is the place where things are more familiar. Maybe Emmaus is a place where it's, I know where the roads are, and I might not get everything I need, but I know I won't encounter the things I don't need. And so I want to go to this area here and just be safe. I have to leave that alone. These are often people who define their greatest hope as something other than the resurrected Christ. The hardest thing about Easter is that resurrection just becomes something that really is cliché. It really is. And this is something that is hard every, feels like every day to hold to. Because you have to ask yourself, everybody should be asking themselves, how big of a deal is the resurrection for me? Like every single one of us should be able to, to answer that. How big of a deal is the resurrection for you? Those of you who've been with us, I think it was our second year meeting, and we, we did a, a, a sermon on, how to lose your faith. And if you remember, we talked about what would it take for you to lose your faith? And sometimes people would hear that. The holy answer is what? Nothing. Nothing would make me lose my faith. He's been too good to me. I've seen too many things. I know too much about him. I've studied him. I've walked with him. There's nothing that would make me lose my faith. That sounds holy, that sounds pious, but that is patently unbiblical. And that might sound like a shock to you. That's actually unbiblical. Here's why. Paul tells you the one thing that should make you lose your faith. Paul says, 
If the resurrection isn't true, then our faith is useless and we are of the most that should be pitied. Your faith means nothing if the resurrection isn't true. If your faith is based primarily on something other than the resurrection, your faith is a faith that can be lost. And I'm not, this is not to make light of the hard things that bring us to that place. But this should be a place where we have to stop and go, okay, I love Jesus and I love church and I love people and I love the experience I get and I love all these things. And as long as those things are good, as long as my relationships with the people in church are good, I can do church. I can, I can deal with this God relationship thing. As long as some of the things we all have like our closed fisted, as long as these things remain, I'm good. But this is one area where we need to always ask ourselves, can I honestly say that if somehow scientifically they produced the body of Jesus, if I can't say that would crush my faith, then I have to ask myself what I'm believing in. I have to ask myself, is my faith rooted in the most important thing first? Or is that just a secondary or tertiary issue to me? Because this is, this, is the, this is the issue. If something is more important or if something gives you greater hope than resurrection, then it's not Christ that you trust. It's the things Christ might give you that you trust. When your Savior is something other than Christ resurrected, you will do what these disciples did. You'll go west, the way towards sundown, not towards sunrise. See, that's what they did. Emmaus was west of Jerusalem. They go to a place where sundown is, not where sunrise is. And then you look at Jesus' disciples. We see where they went. Many of the disciples, they started doing, again, what we often will do when our expectations aren't met. Just go back to what we know. They go back to trying to recapture yesterday. They go back to fishing. Some of them just go back to doing what they had done before. They had seen examples of even many resurrections that Jesus performed, but, but they still don't believe. And this is what happens. When your false expectations don't materialize, you'll be tempted to return back to what you did before you ever hoped. You'll just go back to what you did. This is what I know. This is the thing that feels safe. I'm going to return to the familiar. But you know what you won't do? What we won't do is continue looking for and trusting in this resurrected Savior. This is why it's interesting when you look at how Jesus responds. Jesus is incredibly loving here. I mean, he, it, it, sometimes we love, I think at, at times we can um, highlight certain aspects of who Jesus is and ignore some of the other things. So if you want to make him out to be this overly judgmental person, then you just leave out all the grace and mercy parts and you just get into the judgment, judgment. Or if you really want to make him, and some of us are, are oriented this way, judgment, bring it down, tell what's wrong, tell what's going, what, what, what Jesus is identifying as false. We highlight that while overlooking the grace and mercy. But you see both here. Jesus sits and he listens. He asks them. He does what we've often said. Whenever God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know. It's important that you hear the answers you give back. It's important that you hear places where maybe you're not as faithful as you think. So he asked them, what, what happened? What's going on? Why, why the long face? And they, they tell him, first of all, where have you been? This, this guy's been the biggest story over the last three years in all of Jerusalem. Everybody has heard about this guy. 
Uh, he's been doing a bunch of crazy tricks. Some people think it's parlor tricks. He's, he's doing these incredible kind of like Middle Eastern David Blaine stuff. And, and nobody can figure it out because we've never seen anybody do this before. And he, he ended up winning us over. He made us really think he might be the Messiah of these scriptures. He told us he was going to be back in three days, but he's not back. They're saying that somebody, that his body's not there. Most people think they just assume somebody had stolen the body. And so they're just down and they're like, I don't even, we don't want to deal with this mess anymore. But how do you not know this? And think about how Jesus, what Jesus does here. And this is what you have to accept. This is the hard part. Even when you're in a place where your expectations have not been met, you have been hurt. Maybe it's having nothing to do with what you've done. And you're just dealing with this pain and it's unfair. And it feels like it's, it's unwarranted. And you're having to hold on to this by yourself. Jesus still doesn't give you the, the, the permission, the leeway, the freedom to remake him for yourself. So Jesus lovingly still tells them, he still reminds them, why, why is it that you actually failed to listen to what was already promised about this Messiah? When he says, uh, when he says to them, how, 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 did you, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You're down about these things that were heavy, just like what was prayed by Chris today. You, you're down by these things. These things have caused you to lose hope, but he's been telling you the whole time this was necessary. He's been telling you the whole time this is what was going to happen to him. So the question is, were you listening to him or were you ignoring that and just remaking him into the Messiah you wanted? Because that's ultimately what happened here. See, this is what happens. Jesus will still remind you of all the ways that you've missed him. Jesus will remind you of all the ways that you're actually remaking him into something that's not accurate. It's not loving to just leave somebody in a place where they have the wrong expectation and the wrong understanding of who God is. That's not loving. Sometimes we think that's loving. Like, well, you know what? Thanks for telling me, but I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for the spirit to reveal that to me. That's not loving. This doesn't mean that you get in and are judgmental and, and, and doing things in unwarranted fashion. But if we are in community and there's something about God that we're trusting that is not indeed a part of who God is, it would be unloving to just leave that person there. So Jesus doesn't, he doesn't like excoriate them, but he goes, how did you miss what has been taught to you all this time? How did you get to a place where you just stopped believing what was told to you expressly? See, what we see here is Jesus is not interested in your reimagination of who you think he should be. Jesus is free to act as he chooses. And these biblical figures or the people of our day, nothing, no one can make Jesus do what we think he ought to do or in a time or manner that we prefer. But listen, here's the hope. This is where the hope comes. God's delays are never his denial. God, it's so interesting because yes, there are times where maybe I asked God for water and instead he gave me a shovel and asked me to dig. Maybe I asked him for shelter and he gave me a forest and told me to build. I asked him for food, he gave me seeds and told me to go plant. I asked him for courage and hope and he gave me enemies and put me in the darkness and told me to struggle. Maybe uh, God, what the Israelites had to learn in the midst of this is that Canaan, 
The promised land is always available. If you find yourself in Egypt, Canaan is always available. If you're in a place of unmet expectations and brokenness has taken you to a place where hope has died, resurrection is available. What he's showing is if your hope has died, let Jesus relocate in your heart. Whenever Jesus shows up, that is the resurrection hope. And here's the good thing is that if you have Jesus as the savior, he actually is not just who you prefer him to be. Whenever you feel hope dying, you don't have to sin for him. The beautiful thing about the way God works with us is even when we're wrong, we never find him. He finds us. We get to this place where we're like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just scurrying and I don't know what to do. And so I, I got to figure out how to go find God again. You realize that God loves you. He's wherever you are in your, your frustration, your brokenness, your heartbreak. You don't have to figure out, okay, well, let me, what do I have to do? Let me find a way to get myself back to him. He's right there. And he, you don't find hope. Hope finds you. So when Jesus is present, look, look at what happened to these disciples. They were walking and discussing everything that had killed their hope. And then Jesus walks in. Jesus walks onto the scene of your misery. Jesus always catches up with you in a good way. In other words, the very valley that brought you to a place of hopelessness is often the same valley out of which hope arises. So somehow, some way, Jesus knows you're in this place. I'm going to meet you there. He didn't wait for these men to get to Emmaus, the place of safety, for, for, to start talking to them, to be with them. He was with them right when they were in their worst place of utter despondency. This is where they, they, they had no other reason to hope any longer. And Jesus shows up. They're walking to Emmaus. And in the midst of escaping or in the midst of returning to the familiar, he then empowers them. The same way he empowered the woman at the tomb, the ways that he later empowers his disciples. Jesus gives the gift of resilience and empowerment to those facing trouble and those facing a dying hope. So what road are you on? What road do you find yourself on today? Listen, we are all on our way somewhere. I'm on my way somewhere. I don't know about you, but I'm on my way somewhere. And sometimes when I'm in a place where my hope is hollow and my faith is faltering, I'm reminded of these old words that the old saints in my church used to sing. They used to sing, they would say, Jesus is all the world to me, my light, my joy, my all. He gives me strength for how long? From day to day. And without him, I would fail. I remember growing up and we would know folks in our church and some of the older saints who had dealt with far more than I could ever imagine, going through so many things in this country that were heartbreaking. It could be reasons to give up hope. And I remember people asking, how do you keep on going? How do you continue to hold on? Why do you even still have hope? And they would respond, singing these words, leaning on the everlasting arms. I heard some of them say, when troubles rise, I'll hasten to his throne, Jesus, because Jesus is all I need. Are you on your own road to Emmaus? What does that road look like? Listen, I can't promise 
what that road will look like. I can't promise what that destination will look like, but I can promise that Jesus, wherever you are, will walk by your side. Jesus will come when you need him. He is there every time. So after you've wiped your pillow with your midnight tears, Jesus will walk with you. Your circumstances, your fears, your enemies might be all around you, but do not worry. Do not fret. Jesus promised, God promised to prepare a table in the presence of our enemies, of our circumstances, of our fears. So when hope dies, Jesus resurrects it. This is the hope that we hold to. This is ultimately when we say our greatest hope, why we say he is risen. The reason we respond he is risen indeed is because this is our way of saying and proclaiming, I might have things in me right now that give me every reason to give up. But as long as that tomb is still empty, then there's a God that takes things that are dead and makes them alive. When we come to Easter every year, the challenge is to get past kind of the the rote nature of religion and the rote nature of ceremony, to get to a place where we honestly are engaging this question for ourselves over and over again. Is the resurrection the biggest deal to me? This doesn't mean that we don't mourn. This doesn't mean that we don't go to a place where we are heavy and we have heavy hearts. But here's the way to mourn. You mourn in such a way, whatever it is that you're mourning, whatever it is that has broken your heart, you mourn in such a way that only the resurrection can comfort you. You mourn in such a way where it's not, I need to run away and hide so that I don't have to deal with the heaviness of this. This summer, I am taking my kids and we're going to go visit um, my hometown of Detroit. And it will be the first time in nine years since my mom passed away that we're going to go visit her grave. I got to be honest, that is something as I've been preparing this that I've just avoided. Maybe not even consciously. Oh, no, 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 I can't go. I can't. But, but understanding that there's a degree of pain, frustration, anger, questions. And I'm in this place where, and I'm sure many of us have been, where it's like, I, that just reminds me of too many things that's painful. I might even be able to go to Detroit, but going to the graveside, that just feels like too much pain. I still have too many questions that are unanswered. I still have too many things that are still fresh wounds for me. And what I feel like has been happening and the way God has just been pressing on me is he's asking me, but where is your comfort? What is it that you find? Where is it that you find your greatest hope? And so what's been pressing on me and what I feel pressed to tell you is to ask yourself, whatever it is you're mourning, whatever it is you're frustrated by, whatever it is you're broken hearted by, if the truth and the hope of resurrection does not give you a way to face it and to endure and to persevere, then the answer isn't let me find another thing to anesthetize myself from pain. Lord, how do I acquire the greatest hope ever? How do I understand how resurrection is the only thing, it's the only healing balm for a broken heart? 
It's the only way for me to know that in order for me to, I might see something that is completely dead and gone and I can't see any way on this side of eternity that it would ever be healed. But if resurrection is still true, then he is in the life-giving business. This is our hope. This is what we trust in. And so when we know this is true, we should be able to say, when we look at each other and say, he is risen, we respond with what? He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us so much about who we are and more so, so much of who you are. God, we have this tendency to take the things we like about you and highlight them to the exclusion of the things that we need to still be clinging to. And so, Lord, when we run into places of deep heartbreak, deep pain, sometimes we, are, we feel like we don't know what to do. We feel rudderless. We feel like there's no anchor. We don't know what to trust. So we just cling to whatever the closest thing is, whatever the most familiar thing is. And ultimately, Lord, we know that eventually even that begins to fail us. God, I'm so thankful that you do not wait for us to get you right. You don't wait for us to, to figure out uh, all of the, the right ways to see you, to view you. You press us and you meet us where our hearts are not congruent with yours. You show us and you lovingly correct us. But God, it's you, your hope that finds us starts to change us, challenges us, softens us where things need to be softened, strengthens us where things need to be strengthened. God, I pray that even as we celebrate your death and your resurrection, that we can walk away today saying with a clear conscience that Jesus is all the world to me. We don't want you to just be a part or just temporarily good for the times that we need. God, you are good all the time. And the resurrection proves your goodness. God, let us find comfort in nothing else beyond, nothing else that supersedes the comfort and the joy of resurrection on this Easter Sunday. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.